Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. A small town obsession. I'm Jason Horton. I'm Rebecca Lieb. And this is Ghost Town. good disappearance case, and this one was brought to my attention by my dear friend and in my mind, a Nantucket expert, Aaron Leaf. And as I was reading this, lots of factors made it immediately completely engrossing. Again, from the get-go, there is a woman doctor who has wealth, power, and achievement. There's taped phone calls. There's mysterious scientific breakthroughs, found artifacts, and conspiracies all over the place. And again, that is just the tip of the iceberg. Says retired Nantucket Police Department Captain George Resendez, one of the lead investigators in the case, quote, the whole thing right from the beginning was strange. You'd have to say it was just bizarre from the very beginning. So let's take a hint from Resendez and dive right into this week's episode, the disappearance of Dr. Margaret Kilcoyne. In January 1980, Dr. Margaret Kilcoyne, an assistant professor of medicine at the Columbia College of Physicians and Surgeons, left her lab in New York City for her vacation house in Nantucket. She was in good spirits. She had hinted to family and friends that she had made a big medical discovery, something so significant that it might put her in consideration for a Nobel Prize. Her brother Leo, an executive with IBM Canada, met Kilcoyne in Nantucket to celebrate and unwind. It felt like the culmination of Kilcoyne's life's work, work that thrived in an oppressive and male-dominated field. Dr. Margaret Mary Kilcoyne, known by her friends as Peg, was born on August 26, 1930 in Worcester, Massachusetts. I am not sure I'm saying that right. Let me know. She graduated from Boston Children's Hospital School of Nursing in 1951 and went on to obtain a bachelor's degree from Boston University and a medical degree in 1964 from the University of Vermont. Kilcoin had the distinguished honor to be the first woman to ever be admitted into its prestigious medical program. In 1970, Kilcoin moved on to Harlem Hospital and became the director of their hypertension department until 1973, when she took a position at Columbia University, where, in addition to teaching there, she was a respected researcher and highly regarded authority on adolescent hypertension. With red hair and blue eyes, she was never without her horn-rimmed glasses, her signature accessory, when moving in and out of the classrooms and labs. Though she grew up a devout Catholic, Kilcoyne was highly scientific, as you might imagine, very academic and supremely competitive. Studying hypertension at Columbia College, her reclusive, quiet nature was only matched by her ambition and drive. 
When she wasn't working, she spent time at her summer home on Tom Nevers Cove in Nantucket, a secluded, beautiful area in the southeast corner of the island. At 50, she seemed to be in the prime of her life, working, enjoying her success, and readying herself for an even bigger accomplishment, maybe even a Nobel Prize. On the night of January 25th, 1980, Kilcoyne hosted a dinner at her home with her brother Leo and two of her friends, Nantucket residents Richard and Grace Coffin. According to the guests, the dinner was a nice time, and the Coffins left later that night without incident. Kilcoyne went to bed around 10 p.m., but before she did, she asked Leo to make sure she was up by 6 a.m. the next morning, as she planned on attending an early mass at church. Leo agreed and then settled into a guest room adjacent to Kilcoyne's bedroom. Leo heard his sister's alarm go off early the next morning, but when he went into her bedroom to make sure she was awake, nobody was there. Little did they realize Leo, Richard, and Grace would be the last people to ever see Kilcoyne again. At 7.15 a.m., Leo called the Nantucket Police Department to report his sister missing. He told investigators that his sister's winter coat, boots, wristwatch, and purse were in the house, her car was in the driveway, but Kilcoyne herself was nowhere to be found. Leo told them that he hadn't heard anything out of the ordinary overnight, and investigators confirmed that there wasn't any signs of forced entry or anything unusual in the home. Kilcoyne's bed was left unmade, also suggesting that she had gotten up and left her house in a hurry. Leo also told Nantucket police that his visit to the island wasn't celebratory. It was really about getting his sister help, that she was, quote, very upset and in a somewhat confused state, and he was worried she walked the mile to the beach and drowned. Another concerning thought, and also it was the dead of winter at the time. Police officers scoured the acres of dense woodlands that surrounded Kilcoyne's home and across the southeastern shoreline of the island, looking for anything, a piece of clothing, blood, a footprint, but had no success. Investigators then checked hospitals, the airport, and the steamship authority to see if the doctor had been admitted or left on a departing flight or ferry, but they again found nothing. The search then expanded into the wider parts of Nantucket, and by noon on the 26th, State police troopers, island firefighters, divers, and a Coast Guard helicopter assisted in the search around Tom Nevers Pond and the greater Nantucket area. For two days, 45 people belonging to their respective investigative teams scoured Nantucket. On January 28th, with no leads and no evidence of foul play, the search was officially called off. Most concluded that the doctor must have ended her life by walking into the Atlantic Ocean, reinforced by her brother's concern for her mental health. At this point, on January 31st, 1980, media caught wind of Kilcoyne's disappearance. The Inquirer and Mirror both published brief stories about the case. Quoted in the Mirror piece was former Massachusetts State Police Trooper Jack McGrady, who assisted the Island Police Department with the investigation. He says, quote, She was a brilliant lady, a lady on her own, and she just disappeared. It was very strange, very unusual. For one full week, no progress was made in the case, until early February 1980, when a shocking discovery was made just a short distance away from Kilcoyne's home, a discovery that would make a small-town disappearance become international news. On February 3rd, two locals named David Cocker and Lisa Ladd were out with their dog when they encountered a strange little scene in the swampy area east of Tom Nevers Road, close to Tom Nevers Lake, where Kilcoyne's house was located. Neatly piled at the edge of a clearing, they found Kilcoyne's passport, checkbook, sandals, and her wallet, which contained one single $100 bill. The small stack of personal items were just sitting there, in plain sight, again less than a mile from Kilcoyne's own home. 
After Cocker and Ladd's discovery, of course, the search was back in full force. And about 150 yards away from the pile of belongings, authorities found something else. A long-sleeved brown blouse tangled in a scrub oak, a kind of scrubby brush found along and around the island. The blouse was the same size and brand as several other blouses found hanging in Kilcoin's closet, leading police to believe that it belonged to her. Nantucket Police Chief Paul Hunter and the Nantucket PD were immediately suspicious. They had cased the area many times after Kilcoin's disappearance and didn't find anything then. So why now? Hunter believed that the blouse had been intentionally placed there. Quote, It was pretty obvious the blouse had been placed where we found it. It was rolled up and on the ground under the scrub oaks, quite a mess of them. With a new sense of purpose and more questions, investigators were back on the case in a big way. But the discoveries felt more confusing, ambiguous. Quote, We had gone through that swamp, said former Nantucket Fire Chief Bruce Watts. To me, it felt like a setup. On February 7th, the disappearance of Dr. Kilcoin was front-page news, and leads began pouring in. But as a high-profile missing persons case in a small town often does, facts gave way to rumors and theories. According to a former island resident, Rosie Ruley, who was a student at Nantucket High School at the time, media sensationalized the case in a cruel and very careless way. Quote, in the middle of winter, it captured the island's imagination, and it became gossip-driven and very salacious in a way that I look back on now and think, where was the compassion and empathy for this woman? Former Nantucket resident and writer Gary Holmes, who covered the story for the Inquirer and Mirror, said, quote, there was no good explanation. It definitely wasn't your usual missing persons case. Sightings of the bespectacled doctor were reported in Cape Cod and Boston, and Nantucket PD began following up with Kilcoin's friends and colleagues back at Columbia College, and the Coffins, the couple who had dinner with Kilcoin and her brother, the night before she disappeared. Richard and Grace Coffin described her as being questionably hyper that night, excited, when they were again questioned by the police. As Nantucket police pieced together Dr. Margaret Kilcoin's story, they found transactions from Kilcoin before her party, transactions that also felt questionable. She had taken a taxi to the former A&P in downtown Nantucket that day and purchased $645 worth of groceries and $200 worth of liquor, huge expenses for 1980, allegedly to host a party and press conference where she'd announced her big medical discovery. Oddly enough, all the grocery items were purchased in multiples of three. Kilcoin didn't tell her family about any party, and she hadn't contacted the media or made any other arrangements to prepare for such an event. So what happened to Kilcoin exactly? What was happening to her, around her? It was at this point investigators really dug into Kilcoin's mental state and the events that occurred in the days before her disappearance. According to friends beyond her brother and the coffins, Kilcoin had made comments and exhibited behaviors that were unusual, even for the reclusive, highly private doctor. But other friends backed up Kilcoin as an eccentric but completely sane person, incapable of harming herself and or others. So, which was it? We'll find out after the break. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now... All you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. 
Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hi, hello. How are you? How are hello, you doing? Hello. What's going on? What is going on? How are you feeling? Mm. Yeah, all right. That's That sounds about right. Yeah. We hope you're doing well. We yeah. want to thank everyone for listening, supporting so the much. show, spreading the good word. Very fun. Very fun indeed. Really quick, I am in the new episode of History's Greatest Mysteries. Love it. About the uh, Havana Syndrome, mm-hmm, which we did mm-hmm. an episode I think it was 181 way back in the day. Hell yeah. History Channel finally caught on. <laughs> Do you? My, Did you? <laughs> my mother watches it and she sends me screenshots of it. And they're the mo- uh, mostly the most unflattering ones Hell yeah. possible. I mean, that's classic parent stuff. It's yeah. so cute, though, because she, my, my dad, I told him when we did our History's Greatest Heist, he was like, well, what's the heist? And then I explained the whole episode to him. And he was like, that doesn't sound so great. So at least your mom gives a shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you can check that out if you want to or live your life. Oh, interesting. Op- you got options. Whatever you plan to do, you've got options. That's nice. That's good. What's more interesting is history's greatest government. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. History's greatest mayors. <laughs> wow. I'd watch that on the History Channel. Just making history. I would say this is history's Marilyn Monroe. Whoa. Sorry. Only the good parts. Okay, only the good parts. Only the good celebrated parts. Got it, got it, got it. That would be Ashley Matson. Hello. This is history's Kubla Khan. <laughs> wow. Don't know good or bad, but you know what? Cat Joselle will figure it out. <laughs> You'll figure it out. Kubla Khan, real? Not sure. Cool name. Cat <laughs> Joselle, cool name? I don't know. This is history's... I'm going way back, going mm. way back historically with this one. <laughs> Thanks. No problem. <laughs> this is history's Ryan James Gosling. Wow. I, I don't know if this is his middle name. Um, Might as well be. Barbie? But, but I think Casey Weber knows what I'm talking about. Nice work, Casey. And this is one of the people that when you're like, oh, if you can meet somebody from history mm-hmm. alive mm-hmm. or dead, this person is on the mm-hmm. list, all of the Kardashians, all of them at once, <laughs> every single Kardashian, all at once, all at all at once. There's no, nobody's missing. They're all there, and they're in one place. Wow. Yeah, that's Charlie Weber. Nice. And our governor, the most enigmatic mm. person in history, Howard Hughes. What a joke! Right? Who cares? Exactly. Uh, uh, J.D. Salinger. Get, the fuck get out, out of here. here. Who cares? Yeah, Cleopatra. We wrote two books get or whatever. Get a job. Get yeah. out of here. Cleopatra, no thank you. Mm-mm. We know enough. Yeah. We don't need any more. No. Uh, D.B. Cooper, D.B. Pooper. Get oh, out of here. Get out of here. You stink. Marie Curie, Elvis, all of them can just shuffle the fuck out. And they did. To make room <laughs> for our governor, Avian Noble. Noble. So you want no ads, chit-chat bonus episodes. Recording the bonus episode today, yes. and it really – it did not go the way I thought it was going to go. Interesting. Yeah, it really I, had me kind of like 
on your toes. Bobbing and weaving. Yeah, you it's, gotta it's, let these it's episodes very, keep you on your toes. It's weird. It's mm-hmm. weird, and it's dark. I can't wait because there's a little video and a little photo aspect of it that makes it really, really creepy. And the more you stare at these things, the oh, more shit. creepy it is. Yeah. And I'll include it. That will be. In our Patreon, which is seven days free. If you mm. want to listen, sign sign up, listen to the episode, take yeah. a hike. You can quit. We don't care. Yeah, we yeah. don't. Or or support us a little extra. Yeah, two dollars, or you don't. No you hard leave. feelings. We don't care. It's free. Then in that case, exactly, exactly. No worries. So sorry. Mm. Whatever email signature you want to be like, cheers. Whatever. We don't care. Yeah, yeah. It's patreon.com slash ghost town pod. I want to mention a really amazing podcast we're friends with, Belief Hole. It's an amazing podcast. It's three brothers working together, exploring paranormal encounters and unexplained events. You can find it wherever there are podcasts or head on over to beliefhold.com. Yes, I was just checking out their YouTube channel. It is really great. You can see all of them as they're like engaging with the content. Really fun. Go to youtube.com slash podcast. Again, really fun. Tons of content. Really enjoyed myself and you're going to enjoy this. Have you heard of the Belief Hole podcast? True tales of the inexplicable and the unknown. Just a shadow of a man standing at the edge of my bed. The next thing I know, there are two long metal rods coming at my head. Join the brothers of the Belief Hole as they explore the strange through deep research and sonic storytelling. Large triangle-shaped something. It was so freaky. It looked like it was coming closer, like out of the forest. I thought to myself, what on earth? I do remember that bright light. It looked at least seven, eight feet tall. This thing staring at me. I remember thinking to myself, what the hell is going on? This thing was blacker than black. Weird chanting. Halfway through, it had stood up on its hind legs and walked the rest of the way. Discover the Belief Hole podcast, available wherever you listen. Let's get back to Nantucket in the dead of winter, 1980. So it's been weeks since Dr. Margaret Kilcoyne disappeared, and the police are looking more into the minutia of her conversation and behavior in the days leading up to her disappearance. Police were surprised to learn that Kilcoyne made an impromptu pit stop in Connecticut on her way to Nantucket from New York, something really nobody saw coming. In Connecticut, Kilcoyne approached a stranger, 26-year-old Andrea Principe, as Principe was getting off of work. Kilcoyne told Principe that she was a, quote, nervous wreck and asked her if she knew of a hotel in the area. They proceeded to a nearby Marriott together, and Kilcoyne was so appreciative that she invited Principe to have dinner with her, an invitation that Principe accepted. At this dinner, Kilcoyne purchased an expensive bottle of wine and talked vaguely about her, quote, major medical discovery. Kilcoyne also started a conversation with their server, even offering the server a job in her laboratory back in New York City. After dinner, Principe and Kilcoyne went back to the Marriott to discover that there was no vacancies there. At that point, Principe told authorities she felt comfortable enough to invite Kilcoyne to spend the night at her home. Kilcoyne did, but when Principe woke up the next morning at around 5.30 a.m., her new friend had already left. And then there was the tape. During another search of Kilcoyne's property, Leo Kilcoyne found a mysterious cassette tape and immediately turned it over to investigators. The cassette tape would not be unfamiliar to Leo, however. It contained nearly two hours of a telephone conversation between Kilcoyne and her brother earlier that week. In the recording, only Kilcoyne's side of the conversation can be heard, but I think it gives a lot of clues into Kilcoyne's mental state, at least for me. 
It's a kind of stream of consciousness conversation. Again, you're only hearing one side of it, but Kilcoin speaks in it at length about her research and her, quote, prominence, her, quote, power that she could wield from this discovery, from her discovery. She also adds that she thought she was being spied on at work and that she believed her and her brother were being, quote, spiritually tested and that she had received a message about this test from Leo's deceased wife, Julie. Immediately, Leo told authorities that he scheduled an appointment for his sister to see a psychiatrist for January 27th, the day after her disappearance. Though it sounded at least to me during the research on this episode like Kilcoin was in a manic state, I keep reading that those who knew her completely disagreed with this assessment, saying that Kilcoin often spoke in such intense terms, in ideas that felt absolute and ones that were tinged in Catholicism. Quote, they said it was a typical conversation with rapid-fire talking where you couldn't get a word in edgewise, then Nantucket Police Chief Paul Hunter told the press. He also noted that Dr. Kilcoin's, quote, close friends and relatives found nothing unusual with her talking about being on a higher spiritual plane or receiving messages from her dead sister-in-law. Sounds strange to me, but again, I did not know this woman. Dr. Rosamund Kane, a former colleague of Kilcoin, agreed, telling New York Magazine in 1980, quote, that's why I can't figure this whole thing out, because it can't have been suicide. Tell me someone has taken their lives and I'll say, well, yes, maybe he was depressed or worried about something the rest of us didn't know about, but not Margaret. Eventually, a psychic was brought in, as was a canine search team. The psychic seemed to discover nothing of note, but the search team made some headway. The cadaver dogs were on two occasions drawn to Kilcoin's bedroom, at one point even scratching and biting at the wall. Then, in a series of chemical tests using sodium chloride irrigation solution and luminol, which is the chemical that detects human blood in investigations used very often, Positive results were obtained for the presence of blood in the wall, on the bed's baseboard, and the floor below the wall, in addition to the bathtub and bathroom sinks. Though it feels significant to me, apparently this new information did not lead investigators to believe Kilcoin was the victim of foul play. Quote, due to the sensitivity of the testing reagents and the fact that no large masses of bloodstains were found, it would appear, and it is the opinion of this officer, that each stain and or positive reaction could have been produced under perfectly normal circumstances, the canine report concludes. So months passed, and there was no progress made on the case after that. Full year after Kilcoin vanishes, police still have no idea what has happened to her. Chief Hunter, however, at that point, still did not believe that she had killed herself. Quote, I think she's alive. I felt that way all along. On the second anniversary of Margaret Kilcoin's death, Leo, her brother, stated that he believed his sister had killed herself and nothing the police could say would change his opinion. Chief Hunter told reporters that there was simply no evidence to support this theory, especially if Kilcoin herself had been the person who left her belongings in the clearing when they were found. Chief Hunter also admitted that the case had become an obsession for him. Quote, there had not been one day in the last two years that I have not thought about it. She's constantly on my mind. Outwardly, a narrative was soon pieced together by media as a woman who was in a dangerous, maybe violent, religion-laced manic episode, spending large amounts of money and vanishing to wherever, um, and maybe to her own death. But to investigators, friends, and family, again, the narrative became not one of a sick woman, but a misunderstood one. 
After all, Kilcoyne was a well-respected, highly successful woman. Remember, she was the first woman accepted to the University of Vermont Medical School, where she graduated, achieved so much in a male-dominated field, eventually snagging a coveted position at a world-renowned medical center. Also, as a note, and again, this may mean something different to us now than it did back then, she was unmarried, happy, seems to be, the owner of multiple expensive properties in New York, Boston, and eventually Nantucket, where she took a largely undeveloped area and created over 1,400 square feet of luxury home. She designed it all herself. Again, not to put judgment on these things, but they were unusual perhaps for a woman to have and achieve in the 70s and the 1980s. But then, again, after all of this, the speculation, the investigation, years go by and the case goes cold. Kilcoin was never seen again and a body was never found. There is literally no explanation for how her belongings and blouse showed up a week after she went missing in an area of the island that had already been extensively searched. Years later, most of the case files even disappear, maybe to bad archival work or who knows. But in an incredible article by Jason Graziati of the Nantucket Current, some other strange things were surfacing as the years went on. Bear in mind, Nantucket is very small. It's a very small island, very close-knit. Today, there are only around 14,000 year-round residents, and likely closer to half of that back in the 70s and into the 80s. So Graziati notes that a week after Kilcoin goes missing, a search plane piloted by resident Bob Garibrandt mysteriously crashes as it's scanning Tom Nevers for Kilcoin. Thankfully, Garibrandt survives, but it is a strange thing that does not often happen on the island. Additionally, the Nantucket Police Department's lead investigator in the case, Paul Hunter, which we've quoted multiple times in this episode, started his new job as police chief on the island the exact day Kilcoin went missing. And again, most of the records in this case, I need to mention again, somehow mysteriously disappear a couple years after the case goes cold. While the theory around Kilcoin's ultimate disappearance stays close to what people initially speculated, again, the widespread theory that she had a manic episode, walked into the ocean and died, some of this seems to me, and others extremely close to the case, like a kind of cover-up. Former Nantucket Fire Chief Bruce Watts says, quote, My theory for this whole thing, and I still stick to it, is that she flew out undetected and went somewhere and just disappeared. He calls the case, quote, The biggest scam ever perpetrated on this town. Former Nantucket police officer Paul Smith, who was also involved in the investigation, thinks Kilcoin is definitely still alive, probably living a new life under a new name. Quote, I feel Dr. Kilcoin was depressed but is still alive somewhere today and that the suicide was staged between her and her brother Leo. This is why her things were found at a place that was already searched. She probably was having some sort of mental breakdown and didn't want to receive the prestigious award she was nominated to receive for her work. But I feel she is still alive and living in Canada or someplace under false identity. Former Massachusetts State Police Trooper Jack McGrady has a totally different theory. Quote, we found that a light aircraft had left the island early that morning, before the airport opened, and we didn't know where it came from, whose it was, or where it was going. He continues, there was no record of it because the airport wasn't open and the FAA wasn't working at the time. Look, I think she was a confused lady and her brother came down to help her and he helped her get away from the island to get some psychiatric help. Nantucket Police Department Captain George Resendez, again, someone else we've mentioned in this episode, doesn't buy that theory. Quote, for years, I kept an eye on the town report in Worcester, where one of Kilcoin's brothers lived, to see if her death certificate would ever show up. That would prove her brother scooped her up and put her in an institute. I did that for 10 years or so, but nothing ever showed up. 
Earl Zimmerman, a neurologist who worked closely with Kilcoyne at the then-Columbia Presbyterian Hospital, is torn. At the time Kilcoyne went missing, Zimmerman was collaborating with her on a grant from the National Institutes of Health. The grant was for a project attempting to determine whether the human brain can regulate blood pressure through a peptide hormone called angiotensin. Eventually, the two discovered that angiotensin was indeed present in the brain, and this breakthrough soon became a hugely influential part of the medical community. It was this, Zimmerman states, that led Kilcoyne to believe that a Nobel Prize for her work was possible, perhaps even close, and that she would have never ended her life at this critical point in her career. But in the years since Kilcoyne disappeared, he began to see the case in a totally different light. Quote, in retrospect, I realized what happened to her was really a medical tragedy. Since that time, we've become aware in the field that people can become psychotic at 45 or 50 for the first time, and there's a suspicion that they have dementia. I think now I realize that I lost a colleague because she had brain disease and presented this way. Still others have different theories, one of which is that Kilcoyne's beloved brother, Leo Kilcoyne, might have something to do with his sister's disappearance. Leo filed a petition in Nantucket Probate Court in June of 1980, six months after the incident, seeking to be appointed the receiver of her property. A month later, the petition was granted, and he took control of her home, bank accounts, cars, and other assets. On July 13, 1989, Leo Kilcoyne's second petition to have a sister declared legally deceased was finally accepted by the court. Throughout the initial investigation, neighbors and friends commented on unusual behavior by Leo. Don Smith, a friend and neighbor of Kilcoyne on Nantucket Island, told police that he went to see Leo after Kilcoyne went missing. Quote, Leo seemed cold and more or less ignored him. When police tracked down Andrea Principe, the waitress who let Kilcoyne crash with her in Connecticut, they found that Leo had called her the day after his sister went missing and was, quote, intent on convincing her that Margaret was very depressed and suicidal. Former Nantucket Fire Chief Bruce Watts said, quote, I would put it this way. If it was my sister or brother who disappeared, I would have been hysterical. It's your kin, your blood, and I would have been frantic, getting everyone in, hiring private detectives. What can I say? People deal with tragedy very differently, of course, but unfortunately, we won't ever know for sure about Leo's involvement, as Leo Kilcoyne was killed on June 20th, 1992, when he died in a car accident after falling asleep at the wheel. That is, again, another wild detail of this whole very mysterious case. Another detail, again, after another, in a sequence of strange and tragic things that don't define Margaret Kilcoyne's life. No, not at all. But it does seem to characterize her puzzling and still yet unsolved end. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. 
Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.